It's a long-awaited overnight scape central, but I'm glad you waited, and hopefully you'll be glad you waited too, because uh, we're getting to the tail end of our Beatles uh, examination. But what a series it has been. If this is the first one you're hearing, I recommend you go back and check out the reviews of all the albums. And we did a couple of shows just on the Beatles before that. And uh, we're coming to the end of the official Beatles albums. And then there's like all kinds of compilations we'll look at. And uh, this isn't anywhere near over. So if you want to participate in this and have your say, that's really what the Overnightscape Central is all about. And uh, I'll tell you at the end of this show, in detail, how you can participate, catch up, have your say, and tell us what you think about the Beatles in general, specific albums, or more, because that yeah, that's how we rock here. And uh, I am Brett, a.k.a. PQ River, reverting to uh, my uh, real name. Do we really have real names? But uh, I don't know. I'm becoming more and more comfortable being Brett. And uh, it, I guess I've always been. I was Brett before I was PQ River. So that's how that works. And uh, we're looking at Abbey Road. And um, we've got... I believe, four contributors this time around. And uh, we're going to open things up. I want to hear what Rubinard had to say. Uh, well, I guess this is more of a general short Beatles thing. And it's always good to hear from Rubinard. He is our uh, friend in Australia who has often contributed here and uh, on and off uh, done podcasts at onsug.com where you are likely hearing this and check him out he has some very interesting things to say and without further ado let's hear what he has to say today together hey pq how's it going i don't know if you can hear that you're getting some local australian is it flora or fauna? Whichever one the animals are. <laughs> Hope you're doing well. I've been listening back to some of these Beatles episodes and it's been so much fun. Um, my parents were... I think they were more stones than Beatles, but I was, I was always Beatles. There, there really was something about them, um, as everyone has sort of said in exquisite detail over these previous albums. I think it was even... One of the first things that I remember from the Overnightscape when I was listening to Frank back in, God, God, would have been like 2003 or something? Frank was talking about how he had a, an MP3 player which he dedicated to just Beatles music. So the way he had it set up so that if he was interested in Beatles stuff, he could just pick up this very specific MP3 player, chuck some headphones onto it and off he goes. And I just thought that was, that, what an awesome idea. Now, another quick sort of silly Beatles observation. It's a bit embarrassing to admit, I've talked about it on my own little show and stuff over the years, that it took me a shocking amount of time. I think it was 15 before I realised that the Beatles' name is a pun. You know, I find this fascinating. Like you, you grow up and you live your life assuming certain things. And then one day something just clicks and you think, wait, what? The, 
they're called the Beatles because they have the word beat in their name. That is, that's bloody brilliant. <laughs> I would never have thought of that. And I remember rushing upstairs and I, I think my, my mum was home at the time and I said, you won't believe this. I figured out why they're called the Beatles. And she said, you, are, are you all right? <laughs> she, I think it was concerned that I'd, um, something had happened. I was like, they have the the word beat in their name. Isn't that amazing? And she's like, yes, yes, it it truly is. Um, Growing up, I always thought I was a George Harrison guy, traveling traveling Wilburys and and all of that sort of side of things. Um, As it turns out, my favorite Beatles songs, I think all but one of them, I didn't realize till years later, again, just from actually looking into this stuff, that they were all George Harrison songs. But recently, I've really been getting into Paul McCartney stuff, and in particular, some of his earlier albums. So, for example, my parents, uh, they didn't have too many of their solo albums, but they had Paul McCartney's Ram, or should I specifically say Paul and Linda McCartney? She was uh, co-credited on that as well. And like, there are so many awesome songs on that. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. Oh, you know, the, the butter wouldn't melt, so I put it in the pie. Hands on the water. It's, <laughs> this is why I'm not a singer. songs on that but the album which I've really become obsessed with recently and I'm not sure if PQ was going to hear this and think is is he is he okay (laughs) Paul McCartney's first solo album which is just McCartney which he recorded in secret just before the Beatles uh, broke up and he sort of released it pretty much immediately after and I think a lot of people didn't like it and they didn't like it because compositionally, it's, it's, it's all over the place. It's very weird. <laughs> it's, it's weird in all the ways that I really like. Like, there's that one song on there that everyone knows. Everything else is just, it's a complete wash. There's just nothing there that really interests people. Especially on side B, there are some ones where it's, it's an instrumental and he's just playing all the various instruments and you think, is this going anywhere? <laughs> but I think it's because it's so weird and it's so unlike any of the other stuff. It's so raw and unprofessional and, you know, you think about all of George Martin really slick productions to a bunch of these albums, hearing this solo album that Paul literally just recorded on a professional tape machine or tape deck, uh, reel-to-reel machine at his house, um, and that's it. Like, it's, it, it's just such a different sound. There was no production. He played all the instruments himself. Again, a very interesting different mix of things, but what I thought was fascinating was that the first one... I feel like it was, he was, I know, to use a, 
a, a British slash Australianism. He was kind of taking the piss. <laughs> On the the second one, it was all very electronic, and that was if you've never heard McCartney two, the one song on there which is the big one of the biggest earworms of all time. He he, he talks about his temporary secretary. It's one of the worst songs I've heard, and I can't thinking about it. And then McCartney 3 is very, I guess, like blues, like sort of rock blues style, and some kind of interesting things there. Good times. Anyway, um, I barely answered what I was supposed to on this, but it's uh, it's good to be back. And I think PQ, you said one of the things you liked about Frank's last contribution was the fact that he ended it so abruptly. Oh. oh, it is so good to hear from Ruben. And yes, oh that that ending and the song "Temporary Secretary." Oh man. It, I have this strange love for it, but yes, it might be one of the most annoying songs done by a known famous musician in all of history. Um, And I can't wait when we get into the solo albums to talk about the Ram album. And I have this love for the equally crude to the McCartney album, but catchier first Wings album, Wildlife. There is something so wonderful about that album maybe it was the time it came out i was the right age and i just oh man and uh, as as much as i want to give props to george and john paul's solo albums just are so i mean yes there's some pretty mediocre ones in there but he kept doing them and there is just some fabulous four stuff there and yeah i agree that first mccartney solo album it's got a lot of uh clinkers and clunkers like junk yada 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 yeah that's uh yeah i exactly as some might say um and it, we're on our way and uh dave in kentucky is in the house uh to tell us his take on Abbey Road, and uh, I've been waiting. Uh, I've had all most of these files sitting here while I was on my radio vacation, and uh, I got back, and I just, before I did anything, and I really should have done the Central first, but I had to launch my uh, shiny new series, which you may have caught, but if you haven't, it's called The Appreciator, and because it's all talk, and I don't have to worry about it at all, or like YouTube's thing claiming that some song I made belongs to someone else. I'm not getting involved in that. The Appreciator is my all talk, about a half hour length, and I'm trying to do it several times a week or more. Well, so far I'm doing pretty good at that. But uh, if you haven't checked out The Appreciator, you can check it out on the OnSug, and it is also cross-posted on my YouTube channel. And uh, 
three episodes so far, and I think it's pretty good. Uh, curious to see what you think on it, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to listen to what uh, my pals, my internet radio pals have to say about Abbey Road and the Beatles, and here's Dave in Kentucky. Thanks, PQ. Uh, you may remember when I reviewed the White Album, I said I thought it had been a mistake to make out a double album. Um, if for no other reason, then it used up most of the good McCartney material that they uh, already had in the can. <laughs> you know, the stuff that he had recorded before dying in the car crash. <laughs> in the death car for Cutie. See, uh, um, Frank or somebody indicated they were confused, maybe not confused, but what wondered about what the what the death cab for Cutie uh, represented. Well, the young girls back when the Beatles first got started, they always called Paul the cute one. So I think you know maybe not death cab for Cutie, but death car for Cutie is 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 the uh, uh, death car for Paul. Um, but anyway, I, 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 like I said, I thought they should have held back some of those songs for, you know, future releases like uh, Abbey Road, for instance, because the replacement Paul that they probably thought, you know, would would uh, improve and 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 uh, and be able to fill the uh, real Paul's shoes he just turned out not to be ready by this point. And so they had to, you know, scrounge back through their uh, recordings for uh, previously recorded song fragments by the real McCartney. Now, I, I say the, that the that the new Paul, the faux Paul, wasn't ready. Um, and as proof of that, consider that first solo release that uh, he put out and, and I think this was the faux Paul that did that one, uh, the one with the cherries on the cover. There were one or maybe two good songs on it. I can't remember what the second good song was, but for the most part, they were all pretty bad. On the other hand, you had uh, uh, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass album. You know, Harrison... Uh, considered to be a minor Beatle, probably, con uh, compared to uh, McCartney. But, you know, he put out a double album that deserved to be a double album, you know, unlike the White Album. <laughs> you know, because George had been limited to doing only a couple of songs per album, per Beatle album. Um, so as a result he had plenty of good material left over, you know, to put out a double album after the Beatles broke up. And technically, I guess you could even call it a triple album because they included that Apple Jam disc with uh, um, uh, Clapton, among others. Um, all, of the, all of their very competent sidemen, you know, very competent musicians. See, see, George didn't have any trouble at all assembling... Uh, a super band, you know, a super group for his, uh, well, maybe not a super group. That's a little bit different. A super band for his first solo release. But faux Paul 
had to resort to playing all the instruments himself. Why? Oh, and, and recording it on a, on a home four-track recorder, by the way. No wonder it sounded bad. But, um, you know, if he had gone into the studio and brought in musicians that had worked with uh, the real McCartney in the past, you know, his cover, the faux Paul's cover would be blown. <laughs> the Cherries album kind of blew the cover anyway, as far as I'm concerned. It, it, uh, it made it obvious that he just wasn't ready. He wasn't himself. <laughs> he wasn't McCartney. Now, he did get better later on, and he put out some pretty good stuff after that, but he also put out a bunch of crap. You know, some of those riffs that he did, that one that that one that goes, that, how could Paul McCartney write something like that? That just doesn't make any sense. But it makes sense if he's not the real McCartney. <laughs> But, you know, back to Abbey Road. There's really only two full McCartney songs on Abbey Road. Maxwell's Silver Hammer and Oh Darling. And you can see why maybe both of those would have been rejected from previous albums. They probably thought it was inappropriate to have a uh, a lighthearted song about a serial killer. <laughs> you know, Maxwell. Uh and they probably thought that, you know, your standard doo-wop type love song was kind of passe, you know. Uh, and it would have been, I guess, if McCartney's vocal hadn't been such a killer effort. Um, but those are the only two full songs, only two real songs by McCartney on Abbey Road. The rest of the McCartney songs on Abbey Road are just song fragments, you know, partial songs or even just song ideas that uh, McCartney uh, recorded but never got around to finishing before he uh, died in that car wreck. Some people might argue that You Never Give Me Your Money is a complete song, too. But it's really, you know, there's 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 the big medley. Uh, they call the, what do they call it, the long one or something like that the one that has a whole big string of songs in it, just one right after the other. But You Never Give Me Your Money is also a, uh, a medley. It's a mini medley. It has three partial songs in it. There's the part that says, You Never Give Me Your Money, You Only Give Me Your Funny Paper. And then there's this second partial song um, that um, Paul, in his notes, calls Out of College. You know, it's the one that goes, out of college, money spent, see no future, pay no rent. And then there's a third partial song called One Sweet Dream. You know, pick up the bags, get in the limousine. So while the song that they listed in, you know, on the album cover, or in the liner notes, whatever, as um, You Never Give Me Your Money, while that lasts about four minutes, the you know, the individual partial songs that make it up are all less than two minutes each. So, you know, they're just song fragments. And then there are four more partial McCartney songs in the main medley, you know, the long one. Um, those four partial songs are She Came In Through the Bathroom Window, 
golden slumbers, carry that weight, and the end. And that last one, the end, is the only one that's over two minutes. And it's only over two minutes because, you know, they had those dueling guitar solos and they padded it out with the only drum solo that Ringo ever did, or ever did for the Beatles anyway. So um, it's pretty clear that these were all just partial songs, song ideas, whatever, that McCartney had recorded uh, maybe as a demo type deal before before uh, <laughs> passing away, you know, in his death car. And then um, there's a, yet another uh, part of a song uh, in that hidden track at the end, what was hidden at the, at the beginning. I, I think they kind of list it now um, on, on, on uh, the uh, re-releases. But Her Majesty, you know, Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I got to get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl. Someday I'm going to make her mine. Oh, yeah. Someday I'm going to make her mine. And then it goes, boom. You know, it, it's on the it's on the dominant, like it's going to walk back up to the tonic, but it doesn't. It gets cut off right there. Um, I, 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 maybe they cut it off there because, you know, he fumbled the notes when he came back in or, you know, or maybe there, there was some other kind of, uh, train wreck, guitar train wreck, uh, or, or maybe vocal train wreck, you know, you never know with a demo version of an unfinished song. <sighs> this is kind of a, demo version of a Beatles review, but uh, I'm going to release it anyway. <laughs> I guess that's about it for me. I'll leave it uh, for everybody else to talk about all the other songs. You'll come together and something and, you know, um, um, uh, Here Comes the Sun, you know, two, two good uh, Harrison songs, although I don't much, really much care for that chord progression and something, you know, from the major to the major seventh to the regular seventh that always seemed kind of cheesy to me for some reason but uh, anyway uh, i do like here comes the sun <sighs> oh and people will be talking about the cover photo too and what all the different outfits represent of, of all the different beetles you know with uh, i guess john john is the well i'll let others i'll i'm sure frank will talk about that and probably everybody else too so I'll just get out of the way for now. But remember, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Words to live by. Back to you, PQ. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, that was uh, that. That summed it up pretty good. I'm finding it fascinating that it's just become a given that Paul was replaced by uh, the imposter in 1966 or 67 here. And I, I, I'll just, as skeptical as I am about all of these theories, um, I'm going along that, with the flow here and uh, just, hey, that that fall is an amazing guy who stepped into some big shoes and uh, bless him. Uh, that things just didn't turn out the way they planned when they replaced Paul, because the Beatles, 
as you can see, didn't last very long and really never implemented fall until the let it be stuff. And it's just that gets weird if you think that Paul was replaced because here's John Lennon pretending to reminisce with his childhood buddy and bandmate of over 15 years as if this was the real one when it wasn't. But uh, he had Yoko and Yoko wanted money. So, you know, I'm sure Yoko said, oh, John, you just pretend it'll be good and I can hang out at the session. Real Paul would have thrown me out on my ass, which, you know, that, that could, was that really an offensive Yoko Ono uh, impression? Well, um, if, if it was, I do apologize to anyone who was offended by my attempt at such things. Um, me and my bad uh, imitations, although I have to say, uh, Southern Guy, who was one of our late friend Jimbo's favorites. He's going to be coming back, probably on The Appreciator. And um, just just say that because uh, I've been falling into that voice in my real-life interactions quite a bit. And I, I think there's something there that can be mined uh, in the form of appreciation. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, like uh, just those old days growing up on CBS when all the shows were hillbillies and other such rural characters. And that has nothing to do with the Beatles whatsoever, because I am also one of the great digressors in the history of digression. Um, let's just keep moving along. Our great and humorous and brilliant friend from the incredible True Facts of Space, Chad Bowers, has sent something in for uh, this particular Overnight Scape Central. So uh, let's hand the torch, the talking pillow, if you watch Breaking Bad, over to Chad Bowers. So the Beatles, Abbey Road, an all-time great album. If there was a sticker uh, that marketing companies might put on albums that were part of a collection, say there was a giant man who lived in the White House and had lots of little men in all his pockets, and that giant man went around blowing fire and shooting magnetic energy out of his fingertips, destroying entire zip codes on a whim. And this man demanded that a collection of great albums be made and discounted for the goodwill of the people. Yeah, it wasn't his power or his abuse that kept everyone loyal to him. It was the savings he provided on basic household necessities. And Abbey Road was part of that collection. A brand new 180-gram vinyl record pressed to within an inch of its life. Five dollars. Five dollars, ladies and gentlemen. And that includes artwork. But this album, Abbey Road, uh, I was surprised at what a good album it was, frankly. I, uh, I experienced the Beatles almost non-stop growing up between my father's love of them and many other great music bands. He, he was always dedicated to music. We, in fact, always had a music room growing up with uh, 
you know, recording instruments and all this kind of stuff. He actually could sing quite well, my father. Uh, there are tapes somewhere. There are definitely tapes somewhere. But the Beatles were just ever-present. I don't... I think that when I first started having my own money from a part-time job, uh, you know, getting a job at the movie theater and I could buy my own, I remember uh, one of the things I saved up first for was a a $200 Prince compo ceramic composite tennis racket. wish I still had that, uh, that guy. don't really know what I did with it. But it occurred to me that it's strange that I did not uh, personally have a copy of Abbey Road. But like the other Beatles albums, I, I've got the greatest hits. You know, a couple different versions of greatest hits. The Capitol, double greatest hits. The, uh, the popular one from Universal One. The, uh, the Love album from Las Vegas. Yeah, Abbey Road, um, just yet another brilliant Beatles album. Another album that uh, I'm kind of surprised I didn't buy my own copy of. And I really had to think about it. And the proposal I've come up with is that it was just too, uh, it was too ubiquitous. It'd be like uh, getting a new Polaroid camera and taking a picture of the air. For you see, dear, the air is just there. And to think otherwise is to err. We wouldn't want that. You might get airs about yourself. Yeah, this first song on there, a uh, very groovy song by Lennon, Come Together. I, uh, I mistakenly remembered that this song, Come Together, I had associated it with, uh, with the next Beatles album, the last. Yeah, I think it's because they played it on the roof. And, uh... Yeah, you know, that whole rooftop concert, that, that was a big deal. It sort of echoed through uh, another wave of music in the 80s, inspiring the uh, U2 to play on top of a building and and the cops to come shut them down, you know. Yeah, I love these lyrics. He come up on flap top, toe jam, football, spinal crack, holy moly. Can you feel it that the Beatles were just sort of, uh, at this point... They knew how great they were, and they were just kind of bringing their best ideas and trying to get one more album out, you know, as the Beatles. This is, uh, this may have been it. I think they knew it, and I think the, in a lot of ways it was it. They recorded the other one before this one, didn't they? I imagine the uh, smell of Ono in the room. Can you imagine her body odor? It's a delicacy in some countries. Yeah, she liked doing those hospital bed protests, you know. That's a... It's like, I'm just going to lay here and be served by people, Linda. Yes, thank you. Thank you, citizens, for paying your taxes. Uh, well served. I'll just sit here with Ono and... Make strange noises. It'll save the world, you know, kid. Yeah, I, I think I would have uh, been more of a Paul McCartney if I were in the band. Mike, uh, not Mike, no, Mickey Dolenz. I think I, I'm more of the uh, Mickey Dolenz, Paul McCartney line, the lineage. 
<laughs> yeah, the models of machine learning adapted environmental hosts. And just imagine this whole come together thing. It could have been Timothy Leary's official campaign music. Toe jam footballs, man. See, I don't think Tim really wanted to be president. He liked the idea of running for president. I don't think Tim. Did he? Anyone ever read his book? Anyone know what old Tim was talking about, Tim Leary? He's a cool guy, no doubt. I like Tim. I would not want him for a president, however. Kurt Vonnegut. I'd vote for Kurt. Kurt could be a president. That's something. Oh, God. Man, what a song. Just beautiful. Tell you another, a modern song that uh, I think is equally beautiful is our good friend John Lydon of uh, Public Image Limited and Assorted Failures previously, uh, in his words, but the uh, Sex Pistols otherwise, a great band, mostly because of John, to be honest. But his wife passed away, and uh, it's a great story in and of itself, those two all hanging around the hip part of London, Malcolm McLaren, and she's an heiress, the whole thing. It's, it's a great story. It could be animated, in fact. It should be. But he did his song Aloha, because him and uh, his wife went on this trip to Hawaii. and It's just a, an absolutely beautiful song. I love the way he says, Do you remember me? I remember you. Do you remember me? There's just something so hauntingly... Uh, touching that barrier of the other world that that he's done in many songs you know i remember i was listening to one one night there was these uh these ghosts these spirits were coming under the floorboards of the uh, song and it really created a spooky mood only equaled by a night in the uh, late 70s when my parents had gone out for the evening and uh They'd gone on a walk, actually, a walk around the block, and uh, it didn't take long, but I walked in the den, and uh, this movie was playing. It was this uh, miracle voyage, you know, they shrunk down in this ship, and they were going through people's bloodstreams. Oh, that was creepy, man. Put me in a, a right odd frame of mind, to the point that I had to leave the house and go sit outside, where things seemed somewhat more sane. And I remember being so happy. A few minutes later, seeing my parents come down the hill. Let's move to, uh, yeah, something here. It's, uh, the way it starts is hauntingly. It, uh, it just sneaks right in there like it was always in the background, laying down those heavy, smooth, meditative... Yeah, this song, Maxwell's uh, Silver Hammer. A really fun song. Who, I, you know, I love the way that, uh, that this song could be continued almost indefinitely you sort of have this description of of what little maxwell does you know when he kills somebody with his hammer and i'm assuming he's a young man mainly because the school and i like this stuff that paul was doing you know these were fun songs it's interesting uh lennon called it grandma music but paul was trying to do something uh theatrical interesting tell a story in a new way you know i think he was really he was really wanting to push it in the sense of uh, of being completely fresh and new, where I think Lennon saw it more as a, uh, you know, words could carry the message. 
I don't know if that's entirely true. It's just a thought that came upon me for a moment there. You ever notice when uh, Maxwell's going to kill the judge, it's like the final time, and you hear this radar noise come in. Like, wow, wow, wow. It's like a... a it's like this warning sound that plays right before Maxwell. You feel as though he's powering up, that you're in the room with him while he's powering up, turning his attention towards the judge, you know, more and more so. And crack, you're dead. It's... I'd like to hear that song with more of that effect and more verses. I think we could probably get together and write an algorithm that would just... Create a non-ending version of Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Now, you know, you Paul McCarthy doing an Oh Darling. Oh, man. Cosmically good, Paul. It's got all kinds of elements of uh, experimental McCartney wrapped on a reimagination of kind of the music, you know, that really inspired him. And uh, I think he just... Uh, you know, he shot over the fence and he made it, you know? Into orbit, perhaps. And the way he sang. Oh, I've read about the challenges and the recording and all this. It, it's a lot of great stories with all of these songs. There's the... Uh... Once upon a time in a land far away. That appears to be a different story. Great thing about looking into the Beatles with this whole series is just marveling at the amount of different ways and different takes there are on the minutiae of these albums. I'm thankful all of them had interesting careers afterwards. Under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. Beware the octopus. Beware the octopus. Beware the octopuses. <laughs> facts of space are incredibly true oh man and uh, i gotta tell you i am dying to hear dead hours sing that has got to be epic i mean i've played on some of my shows years ago some recordings of my dad singing and uh, it, it's your turn chad dig up those reel-to-reels or whatever the medium they were recorded on because because we want to hear it and um i wondered did yoko ono have bo i mean i'm just so politically incorrect in my dislike of i mean yoko ono i read a book of her poetry which was i think written before she met john lennon and i find that very impressive and some of her performance art pieces, 
that she did again before she was with Lennon. Uh, interesting. An early uh, transgressive uh, where she would stand naked and audience members could touch her. I think she was one of the first to do that. And that, that, that stuff is cool. Once she hooked up with John, I, I don't know. I just don't know. Poor Yoko. Destined to either be loved beyond all love or despised terribly. And uh, that John himself was uh, probably, I mean, he was the leader of the band. But when you think about it, them as like a boy band and teen idols, he was probably the least desired Beatle. Paul was the cute one. John was kind of handsome and shy. Ringo was just so cute and lovable. And uh, yeah, then there was John, who, I mean, not that he was like repellent or anything, but, uh, you know, he was singing about, uh, I'd rather see you dead, and he's a loser. And I don't know. He just wasn't the prime male target for their target audience. That, that, that's all I'm saying. And uh, I'm so glad you mentioned, because I've been meaning to mention it, that song John Lydon wrote for his wife, who he caregived and kept at home and didn't put in a facility uh, uh, for the last years of her life. Uh, that song, Aloha, is, is just so amazing and beautiful. And if you are unfamiliar and haven't heard it, um, it's it, it's there on YouTube and other uh, places, I'm sure. But the video for it, it, it's just a beautiful thing. And John Lydon, as I've said elsewhere, was a huge influence on my music, my listening, and uh, my little life that I have led, so to speak. Um, let's see. Uh, and, yep, yeah, they... Yeah, Abbey Road. Abbey Road. And uh, I guess here comes the guy we uh, we wait for every week. The man who's on virtually, if not every, Overnight Scape Central. I think he missed one over the years. Frank Edward Nora is in the house with his take. And uh, whatever uh, live or dead Paul stuff he uh, has to say about Abbey Road. Here we go. So now we're approaching the final two albums by the Beatles, of course, Let It Be and Abbey Road. And uh, they're released in, rever in reverse order, right? So Abbey Road uh, was the last album recorded by the Beatles, but it wasn't the last released album because uh, Let It Be came out afterwards. So it's a little bit of confusion. Everything with the Beatles, there's all sorts of little exceptions and confusions and things. But, for example, uh, watching the recording sessions for Let It Be, that the incredible documentary, uh, The Beatles Get Back, I think it's called, right, by Peter Jackson. Um, it's hard to believe that after that, they then recorded the, fan the fantastic album, um, Abbey Road. Uh, which is really amazing. And of course, Let It Be is is far inferior of an album. That's some good points, but to uh, Abbey Road really is the final masterpiece. 
And then, of course, if, if you look on the streaming services and stuff, there's Let It Be Naked. What a horrible name and a horrible cover for trying to re, uh, recreate uh, Let It Be as it was intended because of it was altered by Phil Spector with this quote-unquote wall of sound thing. But Anyway, we're talking about Abbey Road today. So it's the end. And the last, the second to last song, actually, is, is called The End. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Right? So a final statement by the Beatles about love. The love you take is equal to the love you make. Or was it vice versa? I don't know. Then, of course, they couldn't just end it like that, so they have this uh, enigmatic song, Her Majesty. Her Majesty is a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty is a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I gotta tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty is a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make her mine. Oh, yeah. Someday I'm gonna make her mine. Doot. That's the end. That's the end of the Beatles. Though the other album comes out a few years later, that is the end. That's this is like this is the the last statement from the Beatles, and really Abbey Road uh, as an album is utterly incredible. One of their best albums, I, I would say. See, I never tried to figure out. I know the White Album is my favorite album. Um, I don't know if Abbey Road would be my second favorite. There's something about it. It has a very different vibe than the other albums, but it's really just incredible. an incredible, incredible album. I remember uh, getting a copy of it. I think this is the one I had. Yeah, I was listening to it. I was driving around in my father's pickup truck around 1990, and I had one of those like Radio Shack realistic tape recorders, and I had a copy of Abbey Road. I don't know if it was like an actual cassette copy or I I, I dubbed it off. And sometimes I would I would get the LP out of the library and put it on a cassette. In this case, I think I may have gotten the um, the actual cassette version, um, playing it on that little you know the little you know the little tape recorder where you press down play, and if you want to record, you have to press play and record at the same time. You know those kind of cassette decks, little cassette player tape recorders as they call them um, and I just remember listening to it for the first time and hearing dun, 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 she's so heavy right and then how it just it just stops it, it doesn't fade out, it just stops and I thought, I'd like wait, what? what just happened? I the first time I heard that I'm like, did my tape recorder like break or is there something wrong with the tape? What's going on? I didn't understand that that was that was part of the the structure of the song, you know. And of course, in one of my uh, favorite aspects of the Beatles, Paul is dead. There's a lot of Paul is dead stuff on uh, Abbey Road. Of course, the cover where Paul is barefoot is one of the top examples people cite as to saying that why Paul is dead. But it's just it's just one of many obviously uh, visuals that refer to Paul being dead and replaced. Um, and then I think of this first song in the album, "Come Together," is uh, really all about the three Beatles coming together over Paul's gravesite. Come together over me, right? 
one and one and one is three. I mean, how could you, could you get more blatant when it comes to the Paul is dead thing? Isn't there also a song called Come Together by uh, uh, Primal Scream? Come together. Whoa, whoa. It's a totally different song. Let me look at the lyrics of this, of the Beatles version. So, right. Um, one of the, so if you don't know, the uh, supposed thing that happened is Paul McCartney died in a car accident in the fall of 1966. It was such an extreme accident. His head was like, um, mutilated in, by the accident um, and the Beatles had I think saw a picture of this right here come old flat top like his, his the top of his head was sheared off in this accident he come grooving up slowly he got juju eyeball like his eyes are probably popping out of their sockets because he's dead you know he went holy roller he got hair down to his knee he got to be a joker he just do what he please. So I think it's sort of dis, um, describing the dead Paul McCartney that they saw the picture of. He wear no shoe shine. He got toe jam football. He got monkey finger. He shoot Coca-Cola. You say, I know you. You know me. One thing I can tell you is you got to be free. Come together right now over me. Right, so that's essentially it is uh, on this, uh, the Beatles at his at his grave. He bagged production. Well, he was in a body bag. He got walrus gun bo- gum boot, and th- the whole walrus thing is basically uh, in his mutilated state. He looked kind of like a walrus. I think that's one thing they were saying that they've said in the past. He got Ono sideboard. Have to name check, of course, Yoko Ono, who by this time has completely infiltrated the band. He won spinal cracker. Yeah, his spine was cracked. He got feet down below his knee. Hold you in his arm. Armchair? I thought it was hold him. Hold you in his arm. Yeah, you can feel his disease. Hold you in his arms. Yeah, you can feel his disease. Is it armchair? No. He roller coaster. He got early warning. He got muddy water. He won mojo filter. He say... One and one and one is three. Is it really? Just like just like in Magical Mystery Tour, love the three Beatles on, on the bass drum. That's yeah. Got to be and this is this of course is the main major line. Got to be good looking because he's so hard to see. The replacement Paul. You got to be good at looking because he's so hard to see. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest Paul is dead thing on the album, I think, you know. I was trying to figure out, like, what does your majesty mean? What does that even mean? Is, is, is there a meaning to that? Her majesty is a pretty nice girl. Someday I'm going to make her mine. Oh, yeah. Someday I'm going to make her mine. Dude. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure about that one. I'm looking on this website to see if there's any more clues. Yeah, of course, the uh, the white Volkswagen Beetle with the... Uh, license plate LMW28F suggesting that Paul would have been 28 if he was still alive actually Paul would have been 27 when Abbey Road was released people think that people are one year older at birth counting the nine months of pregnancy yeah Hmm. 
LMW hasn't been interpreted as Linda McCartney weeps, of course. Yeah, that's that's also kind of a stretch. The back cover, which shows a young woman walking by a wall marked with an Abbey Road street sign, was also scrutinized for Paula's dead clues. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, there's that. There's those series of, of little circles to the left of the word Beatles, which could be, uh, looks looks like a number three, so three Beatles once again. Um, then there's an odd shadow. They're saying the right, the odd shadow looks like a skull. Yeah, it does actually. Wow. That is wild. It does look like a skull. Wow. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of clues on here. Bunch of stuff. Do they mention, uh, it's a long article. Wow. Anyway, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here for as far as Paul is dead. So the first song, of course, "Come Together." We were talking about that. It's a, actually a great song, without even without all the Paul stuff. Then we have "Something" by George Harrison. Something in the way she moves, right? Classic song. Um, and then the third song is uh, "Maxwell Silver Hammer," which we found out a few episodes ago is my friend Brian's favorite Beatles song. Apparently the the recording of this was completely insane and they, it was like the most miserable experience cuz uh Paul whichever Paul he was at that point was so such a perfectionist they had recorded it so many times. Yeah, but it's about this guy that murders people like a serial killer. Bang bang Maxwell Silverhammer. Then we have Oh Darling also sung by McCartney. Oh darling. It's a good song. And then uh, Ringo wrote the song Octopus's Garden. Sort of, uh, to me, it feels kind of like a continuation of the whole Yellow Submarine thing. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. He'd let us in, knows where we've been in an octopus's garden with you. It's a good song. I'd ask my friends to come and see an octopus's garden with me. And finally, on side one, we have I Want You, She's So Heavy, the song I was talking about that just ends abruptly. I want you, I want you so bad. Good stuff. Side two, of course, is uh, a lot going on here. There's the the medley part, but it starts off with uh, George Harrison's song, here comes the sun, do do do. It's all right, do do do. Great song, and then because, because the world is what round? What they're not flat earthers? It turns me on. That's a good song. And I guess the medley starts with, uh, you never give me your money, right? Then. Here comes the sun king, mando para mucho mi amore, si felice para sol. Then we have mean Mr. Mustard sleeps in the dark, sleeps in the park, shaves in the dark, trying to save paper, 
Keeps a ten-bob note up his nose. And Polythene Pam. Oh, you should see Polythene Pam. She's so good-looking that she looks like a man. Well, you should see her in drag dressed in a polythene bag. Yes, you could say she was attractively built. And you have, she came in through the bathroom window. Apparently it was based on a true story of a fan, a crazed fan that snuck into Paul McCartney's house through his bathroom window. Golden slumbers. Golden slumbers filled your eyes. And then the second to last, well, not, not counting uh, Her Majesty. What do they, they call it a hidden track? It's not a hidden track. Boy, you're gonna carry that weight. Carry that weight a long time. Yes, have to carry that weight of uh, having to keep the secret that Paul died and was replaced. And then the end. And in the end. And then, of course, Her Majesty. What did I say about this? Any, any commentary on the song? Uh, I don't know. Let's see, let's see if we can find any information about this. Yeah, I can't really find any uh, suitable interpretations, but I was trying to interpret it in... Um, So this is my attempt to interpret it, which is a bit sketchy at the moment, but Her Majesty would then sort of represent the power structure that, uh, you know, sort of like the Illuminati, this the secret shadow government, uh, occult overlords, or whatever you want to call them, that uh, I definitely think if Paul did die and then he was replaced, this... It doesn't make sense in terms of the world we know that anyone would do this. The guy died in horrible tragedy. They would have just told everyone, and everyone would have been very sad. And the Beatles probably would have broken up right then. In order to... Uh, all the resources to make it work, to bring in a replacement that, as I've said over and over again, I don't think looks very much like Paul at all. But sort of forcing everyone to second-guess what they're seeing with their own eyes, you know. Um, imagine they had to somehow get everyone involved to keep their mouth shut and not talk about it. All of Paul's family, right? Oh, the rest of the Beatles, everyone around the Beatles. Obviously, they all knew that it wasn't Paul. So you need some sort of what we would describe as sort of the Illuminati, a super-powerful, shadowy organization that had the resources and the reputation that people knew not to cross them. So that may be Her Majesty might represent that. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. So basically, I would imagine that, let's say you're like Paul's brother or Paul's sister. Or I don't know if there's... Apparently there was a, an adopted sister but, or a stepsister. But anyway, doesn't they don't have a lot to say. So they just sort of... Make it known that you better not you better not talk about this, but they don't really say much else. They don't have a lot to say. She also changes from day to day, so you you know you're trying to figure out the story as you might imagine i I doubt even the Beatles themselves really knew what was going on, like George Harrison probably was visited by someone who's vaguely stated you know 
this is going to happen and you cannot reveal this. You know, all your friends and family will be subject to being killed or tortured if you say anything. And So they themselves are probably trying to figure out, well, who are these people? Why are they doing this? Changing from day to day, changing the, the rules and the circumstances perhaps around the whole thing. I got to tell her that I love her a lot, but I got to get a belly full of wine. So that's a tough one. I mean, you might think that's saying I want to build up the courage to actually tell the truth and tell everyone that Paul died, but I have to get a belly full of wine. I have to, since I can, I have to just get, take drugs and get drunk because I can't do this. And then someday I'm going to make her mine. So maybe, I'm, I'm misinterpreting it, so maybe Her Majesty represents the secret itself. Her Majesty is a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. So obviously, you, there's not a lot to say because you're not allowed to talk about it. Changing from day to day, that is your thought process that no matter what the that you have to tell the truth about this no matter what the repercussions changing from day to day I gotta tell her that I love her a lot but I gotta get a belly full of wine so maybe, so maybe it is about telling that you love her a lot is to basically tell the truth about Paul but you'd have to be really drunk or really out of your mind to actually do it Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl someday I'm gonna make her mine oh yeah Someday I'm going to make her mine. So to make her mine, that means you are going to tell the truth. Anyway, that's my attempt to interpret Her Majesty. But the Beatles have to continue to carry that weight, and they'll never make Her Majesty mine because they'll never reveal the truth of the matter. Yeah. I think that's a... It's a bit of a stretch, but I think it's at least sort of a structurally a, a decent interpretation, at least for the Paul is dead crowd. Yeah, 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 yeah. I took a look at uh, anagrams for Her Majesty, and one of them is, hear my jest. So maybe uh, if their overseers or their overlords were concerned and understood the symbolic meaning of the song, at least they could say, hear my jest it's just I'm just joking I'm not going to really tell the truth about Paul hear my jest yeah it's a bit of a stretch too a lot of it is it's, it's a lot of it is a stretch you know all these theories so let's take a look here I want to see take a look on Apple Music you know they have the uh, Abbey Road there's a remaster there's a regular version I want to find the regular version is there a regular version? I don't know if there's a regular version. Hold on a second. The one that has a little video documentary, right? That's what I want to find here. Oh, maybe they just have the 2019 mix. No, they must have the regular mix. But anyway, the remastered version. There you go. Okay. And here, here's what it says. Quick little paragraph. Abbey Road uses a less-is-more approach to production throughout, giving come-together a controlled intensity 
while the raw sound of Paul's voice on Oh Darling is one of the album's highlights. The sound of, the whole, of a whole band working together flawlessly is heard most notably in the eight-title dramatic medley that makes up the second side of the vinyl. Finished fittingly with The End. And let's check out the little uh, documentary video they have as we've been listening to all of these. Here we go. Wait, 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 wait. It starts off with a little film clip with Paul wearing a, a jacket and his hand is in, tucked inside the jacket, which is a well-known um, Masonic symbol known as the, the hidden hand. I didn't notice that before. I didn't know about that. He's right there. He's showing the hidden hand behind the whole thing. Wow. It was like we should put down the boxing gloves and try and just get it together and really make a very special album. That phony Paul. When Paul rang me up and said, we're going to make another record. Would you like to produce it? And my immediate answer was, only if you let me produce it the way we used to. And he said, we do want to do that. I said, John included. He said, yes, honestly. He's roller coaster. He got early warning. He's got Doris Duckers. Five. Yes. One, two, one, two, three, four. Come together. You tended to think, well, if there's going to be a single, it would be John or me, or John or me, that would write it. And then suddenly George just came up with this song. about Yoko. Something in the way she woos me. Stop it, you disgusting middle-aged squares. Well, obviously, no, that was, that's uh, George talking, not, not John. But they showed a picture of John, uh, a video of John looking at Yoko with loving eyes. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden. The last section of our you know, I still think is, for me, one of the finest pieces we put together. Look, look at their Moog synthesizer there, or some kind of synthesizer. We have lots and lots of bits of things. John had a bit of a song called Polythene Pam. Oh, sorry, I fucked it. I'm glad you did. Oh, good. Because I had earlier what I wasn't going to tell. <laughs> A one, two, three, four. And we hit upon the idea of medley in the mall, which gave the second side of Abbey Road a kind of sort of uh, like operatic kind of structure, which was quite nice because it got rid of all these songs in a good way. That it was the last Beatle record that we would make, but it kind of felt a bit like we were reaching the end of the line. I think it was, in a way, the feeling that it might be our last, so let's just show them what we can do. 
let's show each other what we can do and let's try and have a good time doing it. It was a very, very happy album. Everybody worked frightfully well and um, that's why I'm very fond of it. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the Market fab. Market fab, indeed. So I know we went through the songs, but let's just quickly go through the track listing. Really strong, strong album, great album, major part of the Beatles' works. Again, the album starting off strong with this weird kind of... That like shoom, shoom, that the sounds there are very cool, and of course something. There's something about this song having like the most cover versions of any song or something. I, I have I don't remember. Didn't Frank Sinatra cover that? Didn't he go like something in the way? She moves, Jack, <laughs> like that. No, I thought he, I thought he did. Oh, here we go. Is this a, is this, this a, is a real B and H customer. No, it's not. Story. Shut up with these stupid ads. Here's here's old Blue Eyes himself. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. In 1980. Now I'd like to turn to something that the and that so happens to be the title. This is a great song by George Harrison of the Beatles with a marvelous arrangement by Don Costa. It's one of the best love songs I believe to be written in 50 or 100 years, and it never says, I love you in the song, but it really is one of the finest, if you please. If you please. Full orchestra. Something in the way she moves, Jack. Isn't it? Doesn't he say that? Something in the way she moves. Woo! I guess not in this version. And then Maxwell Silverhammer, the murder song. Joan was quizzical, studied metaphysicals. Joan was quizzical, yeah. Octopus's Garden. I'd like to be under the sea. I'd like to be. I want you. Here's the the end. The end part that I was listening to on the cassette and was totally confused. It's coming up in 10 seconds. go it just ends and then we got great song because 
Is that similar to, to I Want You? Yeah, isn't that weird? I never noticed that. And then Because. Was that some sort of, like, harpsichord? Wow. And then the medley begins. You never give me Sun King. Yeah, great stuff. Polythene Pam, you should see her in drag. Yes, drag, drag, uh, drag shows have been in the news a lot lately. Yes. She came in, come on now. Oh, look out! So supposedly Her Majesty was supposed to come in between Mean Mr. Mustard and, and Polythene Pam, but they, it didn't fit, so they just threw it at the end. Once This is interesting. This one is also, once there was a way to get back homewards. That reminds me of that song fragment from White Album, right? Can you take me back where I came from? Can you take me back, right? Once there was a way to get back homewards. Once there was a way to get back I wonder if that's Billy who took over the role of Paul in theory. Lamenting that his old life, obviously he was a person before he became Paul. He's he's talking about how he misses his old his old life which he can never go back to. Can you take me back where I came from or once there was a way to get back home. And now of course carry that weight. Secret, and then of course the end. And in the end, the love you take. Paul dying is the love you take. Is equal to the and replacing him, it's equal. It's a balanced out. I'm very single-minded interpreting this album. And the shortest song ever by the Beatles. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. Hear my jest. I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, so I'm gonna make a mine. What? What? What the hell was that? <laughs> That's not. Is that really the No, there's something wrong with that. Let, let me let me go to the other version. I want to hear the very end the proper way. The vi- this is the end of the Beatles right here. Yeah. Someday I'm gonna make a mind. Yeah, that's like doom it, it kinda It kinda ends the same the mind. same way the other Day song make- uh She's So Heavy ends, like sort of do right, this weird mind, oh yeah. Someday I'm gonna make a mind. The end. Beatles done. How's Frankie? How's old Blue Eyes doing? Woo! Like no other lover. Something in the way that she moves me. 
don't want to leave her now. You better be leaving and how. Somewhere in her smile, she. See, we cut that one off too, just like the other songs. <laughs> yes. Anyway, there you go, Abbey Road. But we have one more, of course, Let It Be and Let It Be Naked. I don't know. I think we can cover both of those in the same. Uh, I think those are just versions of the same album, right? Yeah. But this is sort of the real ending recording, but more to come. And, of course, there's a few, more, a lot more Beatles songs to come in the anthology in the 90s, which is uh, 25 years later, mid-90s. A lot of stuff that hadn't yet been released and then, of course, two new songs that were sort of, uh, sort of Beatles songs, uh, "Real Love" and uh, what's the, why can't I never remember the other one? Um, ah, I remembered. Free as a bird. Yes. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we have yet to get to those. Get to get to those things. Excuse me. Excuse me. There you go, Abbey Road. Back to you, PQ. Yeah, it's it's just, it is a very good album. And for their farewell, I mean, they were straddling this new production time. And yeah, the album sounds very different from any other Beatles album. Um, it, it's just different. But it's still the Beatles. I mean, it, it's it's near fine on my scale. But there's a couple of clunky tunes on there that take it down a strong notch. Um, I mean, Octopus's Garden is a really ham-handed attempt at another yellow submarine for Ringo. And yeah, it's cute, especially when I was a kid. Yeah, la, la, la. No, no, no. I mean, it's it, it just doesn't cut it for me. And um, Maxwell's Silver Hammer is simply super mediocre. And uh, I'd like to blame it on Fall, the fake Paul McCartney, if there is such a thing. But I don't know. Maybe the real Paul was just smoking too much weed at the time. God knows what, but... Mm. But there's some strong stuff on there. And the more I listen to things like I Want You, that's just such a great song. And such a strong Beatles attempt at doing something different. And the George material, yeah, something's kind of wishy-washy, but as a love song, that really is powerful. And... Here Comes the Sun is just so good. So very good. And the medley on side two is just super cool. So uh, there you have Abbey Road. And like Frank just suggested, we are going to do Let It Be Naked and Let It Be as one show. So um, if both are fair, you want to go over either or both. Or, you know, we're always open to just your general Beatles overview commentary, if you have one, especially if you haven't participated. Um, I, I was really hoping Rob would come back and do something. Maybe he will 
it, it's hard to say, but uh, you're invited. And you're, you, right there, you are invited to do something as we close out the official Beatles albums uh, and go into the ephemera, if you will, of the Beatles. And uh, eventually there's something. I don't think we're going to do a show for every Beatles solo album, but uh, we'll see how that goes as well. And for all of this, if you want to participate, the email address remains kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Once again, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Um, and uh, due to my new scheduling and everything, uh, Monday nights uh, might be when we do it. So if you can get it to me before Monday evening, which would be, what, May 29th, 2023, let's call that the soft deadline and see what happens. And uh, it, just do it. Send me your file. Um, and we will participate. And if the file is too large to mail, you can Google Drive it or get in touch with it. You can cut it into pieces and send it in two emails. But we're, we're flexible here. And, um, yeah, send it in. And, and thanks so much for listening. And um, it just let's not babble here. Let's just part company with me saying, as I like to say, let's all set the controls to the heart of the fun. <laughs>